Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Over Easy. My name is Manny. In case you are new here, or welcome back. In case you are new here, I oh, am a fourth year student who just finished her university life. Um, majoring in psychology, minoring in commerce. I'm from Vancouver, BC, and my podcast is about anything going on in my life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great week so far, morning, evening, afternoon, night, whenever you're listening to this. Hope you're having the bestest time. Let's get started this week with a rose, bud, and thorn as we usually do. Let me think about what has gone on this week. Hmm. Okay, I I think my three, my rosebud and thorn are all going to be things that I'm continuing to talk about later on this episode, so I'm not going to give too much detail right now. My rose is that this week, this past week, I just finished my last week of university classes ever. That's a big thing to take in, and honestly, I don't even know how to feel about it right now. I don't feel anything, to be honest. It doesn't feel real, so there's that. But it was like a good week overall. My bud is I'm looking forward to the summer. Very, very excited for all of that. I have a few more updates to all of my travel plans that I talked about before. Very excited for those. And my thorn is um, this week, my partner, my boyfriend had a bit of a rough week. And I think whenever you're in a relationship, obviously you try not to be codependent and have their mood affect your mood to a T, you know, you try to kind of stay detached, but also supportive. But I don't know, it's like when your partner has a bad week, you can't help but also feel stressed and sad for them just because, you know, the favorite, your favorite person in the entire world is not doing well. So obviously, I'm not going to be having the time of my life, I'm going to be concerned and worried too. So this week definitely had a lot of that because uh, Jerry's been having a hard time. But he is getting better and getting through it. So that's my rosebud and thorn and let's continue on and let me elaborate. This week I'm just going to be doing a let's chat brain dump. I originally planned this episode. I had a lot of things on my mind at that time and I still do. So I'm just going to talk about everything that's on my mind to be honest. Let's do it. So let's start with this week, my rose. This week was my last week of undergrad, as I said, and honestly, it's like not even hitting me yet. I think I am somewhat in disbelief and also just not believing it, not accepting it and stuff like that. It's not that I'm like sad that university's over. I'm also not happy that university's over. Like I genuinely just feel like a little bit of everything, you know, I'm nervous, I'm excited, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, like everything in terms of my feelings about university and the fact that it's over now. So yeah, let me try to explain why I feel such ways. So I'm definitely happy. I mean, I'm very excited to lose the label of a student because that's all I've known my entire life. And I feel like life is just so much more than that. There's so much more to life than just being a student and learning. As much as I love learning, I genuinely could learn all the time, whether it be about school stuff, psychology, commerce, like I'm studying in school or just about the world, about anything like that. It's just, I love learning. It's genuinely something that I've always loved in my entire life. So I'm also a bit sad, obviously, that university is over because I'm going to lose a lot of that structure and learning that 
I've had for my entire life. Obviously, there are things that I can do to independently put in learning into my life post-graduation, but it's a lot harder when you're not forced to, right? But I'm also excited because when you're not forced to do something, I feel like it's a lot easier to do it. You know, I love learning, but when I was forced to do these lectures and go to class every week and constantly have all this work like it was just very unmanageable so I'm very excited to if I continue to learn which I will like do it at my own pace do it to my own enjoyment and interest cater the courses or whatever I choose to learn to my own interests and that'll be so much fun one lie that I've realized is very untrue is in high school, you're forced to take like basically everything, right? English, math, social studies, history, uh, science, languages, fine arts, all this stuff. And then the, the thing that everyone tells high schoolers is like, oh, when you go to university, you can choose what you want to do. So you won't do any of the stuff you won't like. That is the biggest lie uh anyone has ever said because in university it's pretty much the exact same thing you still have requirements to graduate and more often than not those requirements also have a well-rounded aspect to them so as an art student I still had to take science classes I took a math I took a science I took statistics I took all these kinds of things that you know I thought I was just going into psychology I didn't think I'd have to do that well also had to take economics math uh so much of this other stuff for my business minor that I didn't think I'd have to. So people always say like, oh, you just get to choose what you like and just do what you want at university. But that's not necessarily true. So if you're going to university, just take that with a grain of salt. Just know that if you don't like math, you might still have to take it in the future, especially like if you think you're going into for me, for example, I'm going into psychology. I didn't think that I would have to do math ever again because psychology is like about the brain, right? But a big part of psychology is research. So I had to take statistics classes and every single course pretty much had a little bit about statistics and research in those courses just to give a little debrief and review. So yeah, honestly, I can say that statistics is my most used math outside of high school math in my life after I finished high school. So very interesting considering that I didn't do well in AP statistics in grade 11. It was one of my worst classes. I also think this disbelief has not fully gone into my soul yet because I still have to study for final exams. I'm not done until the end of April. So really I'm still studying and doing work and stuff like that, but I never have to go to a lecture ever again, which is kind of weird. It's, it's really weird to understand because I don't know, it just... That's all I've known for the last four years. And it's been very volatile the last four years with COVID being everything online and then some in person and then all this stuff. Learning has shifted a lot in the last four years for sure. So it's like I just started getting used to being in person again and being in classes and now it's over. It's crazy. Anyways, that was my last week of undergrad. I mean, I didn't really do anything of highlight of notability is that a word other than the app name notability of I didn't do anything of special interest really I just went to classes started studying for my finals and just like took in campus for one of the last times ever but I'm still feeling good about it I mean I'm gonna do another whole episode about my college experience and what I wish I knew before college and all this kind of stuff so I'll definitely keep some of those details for that episode but 
All in all, I would say I really did enjoy my university experience. It might not have been the most stereotypical or the most normal, that's for sure, but it was just all in all a very good time, and I would say I definitely learned a lot about myself, the world, who I am, and I grew a lot, especially. These four years in your life, like 18 to 22 especially, is like such a monumental time for development, becoming more independent, so I feel like I really did learn a lot. Otherwise, another thing that happened this week was Olivia Rodrigo came to Vancouver and I didn't go to her concert, which I'm very sad about. At first, I was like, oh, I don't know if I should go. And at the time when her concert came out, I was like, COVID was still a thing. So I was like, I don't know if this is going to be okay. But after seeing everyone's Instagram stories and just people telling me about it, I am very sad that I didn't go because I realize I do really, really like her music and I just love her album. So yeah, that's one thing I've been uh, being sad about today because it happened yesterday and now I'm just on Instagram looking at everyone's stories and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I was there last night. But it's fine. I'll just listen to her album in the car and just pretend I was at the concert. Anyways, that's kind of my rose. This week has been great. Also, it's been my first week being 22, but literally nothing feels different. I'm the same. Although one thing of note of highlight is that nowadays I never get ID'd, which is weird. So when I first turned 19, I was constantly getting ID'd, even up until like when I was 20. I was constantly getting ID'd for if I was getting alcohol at a liquor store or just like at a restaurant or whatever. But like these last, this last year for sure, I have not gotten ID'd much at all. And that's crazy. I also don't drink that much nowadays. Like really, it's only a couple, once every couple months or like if I'm going out to a special restaurant for a special event. So take that with a grain of salt too but I just like that's something weird that I noticed I was like whoa I'm never getting ID'd now like do I actually look older do I actually look like I'm over 19 now because for the longest time I looked like I was 14 so (laughs) yeah anyways my next little brain dump topic is my travel so last no two weeks ago I came out with a podcast episode just talking about what I'm doing after graduation and a big part of that is I am traveling by myself and I told you about a lot of the plans that I had booked although some are not set in stone yet but I'm so excited because I just booked tickets yesterday and I'm adding an extra trip in May I'm going to Washington DC to visit my friend Amy she goes to Georgetown University and um, honestly I don't really have plans for that week yet I just booked my tickets and my Airbnb and I'm like I'm gonna figure it out as I go and I am very excited because I think what's most exciting for me and I don't know if I talked about it in my podcast episode I think I must have what's most exciting about travel for me is like genuinely just learning how other people in that place live One thing I think why I like psychology so much is it helps you develop the tools to understand how people got to where they were, you know, based on their trauma, based on their environments, based on their the way that they were parented, all this kind of stuff plays into how you became who you are. That's been a big topic that I've been thinking about the last few weeks, which we will dive into a little later. But one thing that I'm really excited about for my travel is just genuinely just I want to try and live like a local because I want to know what life is like. 
One thing that I've heard a lot about uh, in terms of Vancouver culture is that people are not very friendly. It's not a very friendly city. And, uh, you know, people who are on the train, like the Sky Train next to each other, they're not going to talk. Like, you don't really talk to people in public. But apparently that's like very different. This is something that my counselor told me that like when he went to travel, it was very different. And I think especially in those two places, Washington, D.C. and Austin, Texas, where I'm going in July is going to be very different in terms of what I'm used to because I've grown up in my life in Vancouver, right? I've never tried to talk to strangers, really. I've been I've been led to believe that that's bad, but I feel like in those two places, it's going to be so different and diverse and just like such a different culture that I'm really, really excited to experience. So very excited for that. My Washington DC trip was a little bit on a whim, but I am still quite excited because I don't know, just like getting to go to a new place and experiencing life. Also, this is really, really random, but I'll get to go to Trader Joe's again um, because obviously Trader Joe's is only in America and I'm starting to run out of my everything but the bagel seasoning. So I want to go to Trader Joe's and just buy like five of them to come back so that I can have them forever because I realized how good it is. When I saw it on YouTube all those times, I thought it was just like overhyped or overrated. It was just, I was like, it's just seasoning. What is this? But genuinely, it is so good. It has salt, pepper, sesame seeds, poppy seeds, garlics, garlic salt or garlic flakes or whatever, onion pieces. It just like has everything and it's so good. So if you're interested in that, you should definitely check it out. I feel like we all know, but... I tried it this year for the first time and it was great. So I'm very excited to go back to Trader Joe's sometime soon when I'm in America and buy a lot of everything but the bagel seasoning. Anyways, yeah, so I'm going to Washington, D.C. as well in May. So in May, I'm actually, oh, actually, no, I have another trip too. In May now, I'm actually a little like quite busy. In the beginning of the month, I'm going to Vancouver Island with my friend Angela, as I said. And then the week after, I'm going to Washington, D.C. to visit Amy. And I'm literally taking an overnight flight and landing on Monday and then like staying until Friday, which I'm so excited about. Uh, and then literally not the week after, not the week right after, but two weeks after I come back from Washington, I'm graduating. It's my graduation ceremony. And then right after graduation, as of right now, I've tentatively planned a trip to Kelowna with Rebecca and Rachel, which if you watch my vlogs, you'll know they are like some of my closest friends from high school. And we also go to UBC together. So Rebecca's graduating a day before me and then I'm graduating after. And then the week after that, we are going to Kelowna to the plan is to drink wine, get drunk, go to wineries and just have fun because that's what it is. Is that what post-grad life is? Just drinking and having fun? I don't know. So May is actually going to be quite busy for me and I'm kind of nervous, but that is okay. One thing that I'm super excited about is making content. Obviously, I'm going to be vlogging all my trips and all my stuff like that, just like prepping for it on my trips, obviously, and all this. I'm, I'm going to try and post it so that I don't post while I'm on vacation. I'm still going to like... Here's my here's my idea for my travel itinerary is because I'm going alone to most of these places like Washington, D.C., for example, um, and I'm not a super extrovert. I still need time alone. What I've decided is from watching some other solo travelers is I'm going to have, I think, like one 
maybe for Washington, I'm just going to have one rest day, but I'm just going to have a day where I don't do anything and don't plan any activities. Sure, I might go to like Trader Joe's nearby or like Target or whatever, but I'm not going to plan anything big, right? And for those days, I'm just going to stay at my accommodation and edit and do stuff because I feel like A, I'll need that break from going everywhere and constantly, I feel like constantly having your your gut on and your wits on is very tiring. So I feel like I'll need a break from that. And also just so that I can keep continuing putting out content and editing. I'm going to try and uh, edit while I'm on vacation, but not put too much pressure on myself. I've already tried to schedule here and there some vlogs that might go up and all my travel vlogs are going to go up after I finish traveling, obviously, just for safety and also for sanity. I don't want to waste all my vacation just editing in my room. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Lately, I've been having a bit of a struggle with content. I go through such ebbs and flows with it, you know, for March and for most of March, I was very, very into it. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Film, 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 everything, everything, everything. There was a, there were many weeks where if I wasn't YouTube vlogging, I was TikTok vlogging. And if I wasn't TikTok vlogging, I'd be focusing on my Instagram story. So I'd be constantly rotating between vlogging for YouTube, vlogging for TikTok and Instagramming. And it is so exhausting. I definitely have learned that I cannot do more than one at once. So if I am vlogging for YouTube, then I cannot think about TikTok vlogging the same day or just like being active on Instagram because it is exhausting and I always forget one thing or another. It takes a lot of brain power for me to like set up YouTube shots and like remember what I want to film. So having to do that double like just tears me apart. So that's one thing I've learned about myself. I'm also one thing that I've been kind of like struggling with is comparison. And I know, you know, people are like, don't compare. Obviously, comparison is the thief of joy, but it's really hard not to, especially on social media when everything is numbers, you know, when you go to see a, someone's profile, the first thing you see is how many followers they have, how many likes they have, how many posts they have or whatever. It's like the first thing that comes up on a lot of platforms. So I've been like watching other people, other small creators and kind of just like honestly not having the best time with the comparison stuff. I mean, I have never, I've decided that I don't think I would ever like solely do content creation and my boyfriend and I actually talk about this a lot is um, people who do content creation and influencing full-time I feel like their content has a has a shift that is not the same as if they were not doing it full-time so for example I think one prime example of a creator that I watched that had this transition was best dressed or Ashley. She no longer makes YouTube videos. But when I first found her, she was still a student at UCLA and I absolutely loved her content. I think it was the summer of 2019. She blew up a lot or 2018, one of those years. And it was just so much fun to watch because um, when she would make fashion videos or vlogs of her university lifestyle, it was just like, you could tell that it was just fun for her and the way that she would film, the way that she would edit. It was just, you can just tell it's like 
very enjoyable and fun. But I think one shift that people have when they decide to go into content creation full time is that a lot of their worth and full time like focuses and stuff goes to the content that they make. So I think I remember Ashley was talking about this in one of her videos was that shift that she had after she graduated college and just started making YouTube videos uh, full time was like when she made YouTube videos as a student, she didn't put as much pressure on herself because, you know, obviously as a student, you still have finals to worry about. You still have assignments and all this kind of stuff. So if your YouTube video is at like 88% perfect or 88% you like it and the other 12% are things you might improve but you don't have to it's okay because you have other things in life to focus on but I think when you do YouTube full-time content creation full-time you have the time and energy to constantly be nitpicking at yourself and your content and that I think is when people's content goes downhill like I feel like it's a lot more authentic and fun to watch when it's not perfect and it's not like beautifully edited every shot is perfectly stabilized or whatever but I feel like a lot of content creators when they become full-time content creators that's like the stuff they start to worry about because views are so important like their views are literally a direct correlation to the paycheck that they're getting that month and you know when you get extra big people's salaries start depending on your paycheck all this kind of stuff all this pressure and you can't focus on anything else except your content and I think it's especially prevalent for lifestyle people because your life is your job like you living life is your job. So that's a big thing that I've been struggling with with content. And for the longest time, I've always wanted to be a YouTuber, just like full time. I don't know what that would mean. But I think nowadays I I have realized that I definitely need to do something else alongside YouTube, whether that is traveling. I think traveling is a great option. Or later on in life, I might just get a full-time job and then have it so that I also have free time to make YouTube videos or something like that. I don't really know. But I think that is definitely necessary because another YouTuber that I watch has been expressing, you know, burnout and creative burnout with her channels and her YouTube videos. And I feel like I don't really want to be mean and I'm not trying to spread hate. These are just my opinions on the matter. Uh, Like, to be honest, I understand that people have their own struggles. Everyone is going through something and some people start out more privileged. So their struggles might seem smaller compared to other people who have more important pressing issues such as like trying to meet their basic needs. But I feel like these privileged people, especially these full-time YouTubers that make exorbitant amounts of money, they start to lose sight of what really is a basic issue. And it just becomes really hard to watch. It, it becomes really like it's hard to be relatable, right? And that's one thing that people love about YouTubers is that they can be relatable to the audience and you feel like you have like a friendship, a parasocial relationship with them. But yeah, I listened to Emma Chamberlain's podcast about her quitting YouTube. And at the time, I didn't really agree with her because I can fully understand that she wants to take a break because, you know, YouTube is hard, especially with all the things that she does in her life, like her coffee company and all this kind of stuff. 
But at the time for me, I was so invested in content creation and just like having so much fun with it that I didn't really agree. I was like, oh, like, okay, but I love making YouTube videos. And then I don't know. I saw this TikTok that wasn't directly talking about Emma, but I think was like subtweeting her. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was just like implying talking about her, you know, and it was like, oh, all these YouTubers complaining about their issues when they have editors and managers and assistants and stuff like I feel like to an average person now these YouTubers become very very privileged and hard to watch because you know they're complaining about struggles that we could only dream of having and I honestly can't even say that I'm part of the the people as well I'm I'm kind of like always trying to take a a side view uh because I know I am also privileged in some ways and I don't have the same struggles as everyone else and I'm lucky that I don't have the same struggles as everyone else. So yeah, I don't know. That's something I've been thinking about is just the way that your life shifts when you become a full-time content creator. I think it's too much pressure because then you start focusing on the views and the likes and the subscribers way too much. I have been trying to make it a goal for myself to not check my YouTube studio because it just honestly can be so devastating sometimes and I I know so many people talk about this now how if you're on YouTube studio and your video's not doing the best like when your video is doing number one out of ten they give you little confettis and all this kind of stuff but if not then your video is just gray and black and it's so sad but I'm trying to just focus on making content that I like, making videos that showcase memories of my life so that I can look back at it and just enjoy. Because when I put too much pressure on something for myself, it just becomes not fun. I guess another thing, this started with my traveling, but my content struggles were that I'm trying to basically figure out what I want to do with my content and I know that I love making videos and I feel like that's just going to continue forever but you know with this natural progression like people start taking sponsorships and working with brands and I was just thinking about if I want to do the same like I feel like in an ideal world if I could live off of YouTube AdSense then I would and not take any sponsorships but I mean, people are always like, diversify your income. That's why YouTubers take so many brand deals, right? Is so that you have an income other than YouTube in case YouTube like disappears. I don't know. One other thing that I've been analyzing a lot the last few days are uh, family vloggers. I was, okay, I don't want to admit this, but I was watching a like commentary gossip video on a few family vloggers that I watch on YouTube and TikTok. And I, I feel like it's just such like a shift when you're watching your favorite family vlogger creator and you read the comments, it's like such an echo chamber, right? All your fans are obsessed with your family, obsessed with your babies, obsessed with you. And if there's any haters, those stands will come and attack them and be like, blah, 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 blah. But then once you take that step out of that bubble, that fan bubble, which can be hard at times, because if you're not actively looking for that, it will not come up, right? The algorithm recommends you things that you would like so obviously the algorithm is not going to recommend you a hate video about someone you like but once you 
start looking for that content and like critically thinking about it. Family vlogging is very dangerous and very, very detrimental to the kids, which is so unfair because these kids have no say and are essentially just being forced to consent to this decision that could have lifelong impacts. And I feel like there are no family vloggers or family bloggers children that have grown up old enough to tell us about that yet but I think in like 20 or 30 years when these toddlers when these babies grow up and they start talking about their experiences we're gonna realize that it was such a mistake to begin with on top of just like privacy issues for your kids you know I realize there's a lot of creepy and scary people out there so you have to be careful with that and I think for me too even just like my own vlogs I've been trying to really just be careful with how I'm posting what I'm filming and all this kind of stuff because I don't want to compromise my safety either people are scary and you don't know what people are going to do so it's really important to just stay safe and in terms of like I feel like this links to just internet use in general when if I'm a parent, when I get kid get kids, when I have kids, if I have kids, I will definitely not let them have social media or just like independently use the internet until they're like 12, 11, 12. Because it can be very scary and as a kid you're just you're just trying to fit in with the rest of your friends like oh all my friends have snapchat so I'm gonna get snapchat too and it's just then it starts going downhill from there so hopefully if I have kids and they want to use the internet which obviously they will I can at least foster a safe enough relationship to talk to them about it and just emphasize the importance of safety. I feel like I am also just a very paranoid person in general. Um, so that's like safety and well-being is always something that I'm very, very anxious about in terms of just like other people coming to attack me. So yeah, this I started off talking about content, my own content, but I mean, everyone uses the internet nowadays. So just be careful, guys. Uh, I've learned some tips that I use now for my internet usage. Um, don't live update your socials. And this is especially important for Instagram stories because obviously Instagram stories you can take on the spot and post on the spot. I've been starting to just take the picture and then post it after, after I leave the location. Um, just for safety and for reasons. And also like most of the time if I'm Instagram storying, I'm with other people and I don't want that to take up like the valuable time that I have with them, right? Because I like to make my Instagram stories look pretty. You know, I'm not going to not admit that. And that takes time. So if I update on the spot, well, if I'm with other people, then like I'm just taking up time with other people. So I'm trying not to. And uh, yeah, I'll update my Instagram after the fact if I'm at like a, if I want to put a geotag or like a location, I also have um, been trying not to tag the same location all the time, if that makes sense, because I feel like I go to the same places a lot and uh, I'm trying not to geotag them too often or just like post that I'm there all the time because obviously don't want people to be there and just like they're waiting for you or something. It's kind of creepy. 
and just like standard blurring things on YouTube videos if they show the location or whatever. So yeah, obviously don't respond to messages that you don't know and all this kind of stuff. Like that's all basic stuff that I would hope most of you know by now, but um, some of the more complex stuff, like the Instagram story one has definitely been something that I've been trying to implement a lot. Okay, that's that on that. Let's continue to my next topic of brain dump. I've been reading this book that I genuinely really, 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 really like. It is called How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera. It's just under my switch, so I have to grab it. And basically what this book is, is Dr. Nicola Perra is a psychologist. She's a holistic psychologist, which I will talk about in one sec. Um, but this whole book is basically just about recognizing your past traumas and your past behavior patterns and how to overcome those and just be a better person. And how it's different from previous psychology books that I've read is that she's a holistic psychologist, like I've said. And basically, 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 holistic psychology is seeing the mind and the body and just everything like that as interconnected. And that's pretty obvious slash intuitive when you think about it, like, oh yeah, obviously our mind and body are connected. But there are actually a lot of things that your mind and body can do to tell you that it's hurting that you won't think is the case. Uh, let me explain. Um, so one example that the doctor brings up in the book is that a lot of her therapy clients often uh, report IBS or gastrointestinal issues. And, you know, if you go to a doctor for those issues, they're just going to prescribe you like painkillers for the stomach pain or whatever. But the idea of holistic psychology is to look at the entire person, the mind, the body as a whole and see where your troubles and where you are lacking. Because oftentimes what happens is unresolved trauma actually manifests itself into the physical body and into these physical forms. So you might not even realize it, but unresolved psychology, unresolved trauma in your life, like maybe your entire life, your parents were very controlling and now you feel the repercussions of that as an adult. That might be leading to your stomach issues just because your body is not in the homeostatic state. And that is kind of wild for me to hear and understand. But now that I have thought about it for the last few weeks that I've been reading this book, I've been reading it for like a week, maybe. I've like really like seen it in action. So I wanted to share a couple things. One chapter that I read this week, earlier this week, really, really, really stood out to me. And I really, really liked it. Um, it was basically about how parents can be traumatizing to their children without knowing it. So I think it's quite, I want to say obvious. I think it's quite apparent that parents can have a lot of... Uh, explicit effect on their child you know in these dire circumstances when your parents verbally abuse you or physically abuse you uh, a lot of those children have a lot of mental issues growing up and their development is extremely jarred and altered but in other cases 
your parents can be harming you even if you don't know it and just through their own unresolved trauma. So let me bring up the page that I want to talk about. So basically what the author did is talk about these main types of parents that have a lot of effects on their child and talked about the different ways that these traumas could manifest for the future children. So for example, um, one is the having a parent who denies your reality. So what this means is whenever a child brings up maybe like, for example, you're at a family reunion and you're meeting a ton of family that you've never met before. And for a lot of Asian families, the norm is that you go and say hello and hug or kiss or whatever your extended family, even if you've never met them before. And I know a lot of children have voiced concerns about, oh, I don't know these people. Why am I hugging them? Like, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. And your parents just brush you off like, oh, it's okay. It's just family. Like, just do it. And There's a lot of other experiences like that. Like maybe your child comes up to you and tells you that they're not feeling well or uncomfortable. Maybe they're about to do a performance and they're not feeling well. And then your parents just like, it's fine. You're fine. Just do it. These are basically, that's basically your parent denying your reality. And one of the long-term consequences of that and things that come from that is that your child develops to have no intuition and no trust in their gut at all because essentially their whole life they were told how to feel and what to feel. And that just blew my mind. I was like, holy crap, that's insane. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're growing up your whole life and you're led to believe, you're told what to do, you're led to believe like that your feelings don't matter or your intuition doesn't matter about if you feel unsafe or if you feel whatever, then as you go into your adult life, you're going to continue those behaviors because we're literally, as an adult, we're just the manifestations of the behaviors that we learned in our childhood, right? That's all we really know. You have to remember that children, they learn from all of us and they don't know anything on their own, right? They learn from imitating, they learn from modeling, they learn from watching others. So all the behavior that they know is learned from others. Whether it might not even be a real person, a lot of it can come from the TV or video games and stuff, which is also a problem. But yeah, uh, that's one that stood out to me a lot because actually I, when I was reflecting about this, I feel like I know someone that has this issue and I was like, oh my god, that's crazy. One thing that I really enjoy is just talking about people's trauma, thinking about my own trauma and like how I became the way I was. So it's one thing that I've been doing a lot. So let me share my experience with reflecting about this. I don't think I have any of the issues that the the author brought up in the book. Let me talk about the other ones. So there's having a parent who denies your reality, having a parent who does not see you or hear you, having a parent who vicariously lives through you or molds and shapes you. That's like the stage parent having a parent who does not model boundaries, having a parent who is overly focused on uh, appearance, and having a parent who cannot regulate their emotions. Those are the types of parents that the author talks about in the book. And if you're interested, you should definitely read this book. It is so good and so insightful and I've learned a lot. But I was thinking about obviously how my parents shaped me to who I was and what I am like now. And one of the biggest issues apart from my parents divorce, but I feel like that is on it. That's another issue on its own. One of the biggest issues that my parents had 
or I feel my parents did to me to no fault of their own. I feel like it wasn't intentional for sure, but it's just something that had a side effect and now really affects my life is the fact that they worked a lot and didn't really prioritize me in my life. I think I talked about this in my very first episode in my podcast. I would assume this is kind of a story that I tell all the time. But for example, one of the stories that really stands out to me is that I was at my school's after school care club. So you could, school ended at 3.30 and you had an option to stay after school until five if you weren't in like a sport or a club or whatever. That was like kind of the babysitting club. So people would come and do homework. They would just play outside and stuff like that. It was just like a daycare essentially. And I pretty much had to go to that every single day. I don't know how people got picked up at 3.30 to be honest now that I even think about it because don't nine to fives go nine to five. Uh, doesn't really make sense to me. But both of my parents worked full time and they are they were in managerial positions at their firm. So they had to work a lot. And uh, most of the time they would come and pick me up at five o'clock because that's like the latest possible moment. But I remember this one day um, where my mom didn't come to pick me up at five and I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I was calling and calling and calling and just like no one picked up. I was like, "Okay, this is kind of weird. To be honest, like the person that I feel the most bad for is the teacher because the teacher wanted to go home, obviously. Like she already had to stay until five after school. But uh, my mom didn't end up coming until six o'clock that night. And obviously the teacher had to stay so that I could have, I wasn't alone. And the school was already like closed. Like the janitors were coming to lock the doors and stuff. And I was still at school. And that's like, it's not that that day was very impactful it was it was it's just something I still remember and it was a very common occurrence in my um childhood it was that you know I I think one reason why I'm so obsessed with scheduling and calendars is because when I was little if I didn't remember my own schedule no one would drive me there I was the one who had to be like oh on Saturday I have dance class at 9 30 so we have to leave at 9 at mom at dad if I didn't do that my parents would not actively remind me and I feel like that was the opposite of what a lot of my friends went through was that you know your your parents wake you up and you're like oh now it's time to go swimming or whatever but for me I was the one who had to remember. I was the one who had to be like, what do I need for after school today? Oh, I have to bring my dance bag or I have to bring my uh, Chinese school bag because that was also something I did after school when I was in elementary school. So that whole shenanigan thing, um, those repeated behaviors from my parents has, I think when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about like what this would have led to. I think it, it, led to my issue of having to constantly need attention and I don't think I'm like a a pick me or whatever I would hope I'm not I don't really know you would have to ask someone I know in real life but um it's just led me to overcompensate because I feel like my parents never paid attention to me and um yeah so because like these bad behaviors, this bad behavior of me constantly 
needing to overcompensate and need attention comes out in our daily life as an adult. This is actually one thing that my boyfriend brought up to me that he thought was kind of concerning regarding my behavior. He was like, oh, this is something I've noticed. I don't know if you know. And it's like it affects other people, right? Like when it gets to the point where it affects other people, that's when it becomes an issue because if it's only yourself, people don't really care. But once you start harming others or hurting others, that's when it can be obviously has to be brought up and stopped. So when I was thinking about it, I think that my overcompensation and need for attention from others has come from this issue of the fact that when I was growing up, I felt like I was never paid attention to because I had to figure everything out on my own pretty much. And I would honestly say that my situation was not as dire as other people's. Like I already had pretty much the the long end of the stick not the short end because you know I had someone to pick me up after school right like I had a home to go to I had classes to go to but not everyone has that and I definitely recognize that but again everyone goes through something and those things shape to shape us to become who we are so that's one thing that I thought about a lot and I've been trying to actively not do it but it's really hard because obviously these are behaviors that I've done my whole life and I don't realize it because for me it's just normal but I now that I reflect back I've realized that I heard a lot of people doing this not just recently but throughout my life and it's I wish I could go back but obviously you can't you can only learn from it and move forward My next part of this book that I wanted to share is actually the affirmations that I wrote this morning because this book also includes activities, journaling activities to actively work on the stuff that the author talks about, which if you've heard enough of my podcasts and watched enough of my vlogs, you'll know that I love this kind of stuff. This cheesy journaling stuff is absolutely my favorite. So I've been doing those journaling reflections, obviously. That's how I came about my realization with my childhood to adulthood kind of development thing with the attention but this is one thing I did this morning that I thought was very wholesome and I'm going to read out the affirmations that I wrote. So the current chapter that I was reading this morning was about our core beliefs, our ingrained beliefs in our mind because everything that you believe, everything that you value really is taught to you. Um, Like as a kid, if One thing that I've realized, one thing that I've realized that I've been taught to value a lot is eating dinner with your family because as a kid growing up, up until now, I've had to eat with my family at every dinner and like we sit together around the table and eat dinner and stuff like that. And I didn't realize that not everyone does that. I thought it was normal, but apparently people don't really do that. So um, core beliefs are things that are taught to you. You know, everyone's is going to be different. So um the author had us go through core beliefs about yourself, about others slash our relationships, about past, present, and future. And I decided to write some of the negative ones that I have. So about myself, well, this one's positive, but I wrote that I'm strong, happy, and independent because if I'm on my own and I spend my time alone that day, that's genuinely something that I just believe and I pretty much will always believe. But another core belief that I have about myself is that I'm selfish and inconsiderate. The core beliefs that I have about others slash my relationships, I am not enough as I am. I must mold myself so that others like me. I must give everything so that others like me. This is something that I struggled with a lot. I mean, people pleasing and feeling like you have to do something in order to 
earn someone's love and trust. And it is true to a certain extent. Like, obviously, you have to do things to show that you are worthy of love. And this is like, you know, you have to show that you take care of yourself. You have to show that you prioritize your well-being, your self-care, and all these basic need things. But I'm talking about in terms of like my core beliefs, I'm talking about like the times when I would give up my own well-being and my own sanity to help other people or to ensure that they would like me. In my last relationship, I would give up a lot of my myself so that my partner, my ex-partner could like me. I mean, that's the big reason why I didn't start YouTube videos earlier is because he didn't like that and I thought I would have to give it up so that he would like me, which is obviously stupid. Um, a core belief about my past is my past has, ex- my past has affected me in a way that will change my life forever. Um, about my present, I am not successful. I'm not as successful as others and I am wasting my time. And about my future, I won't be able to accomplish my dreams and it will be hard to reach my dream future life. So those are kind of negative and obviously we are our own worst critic. So I know that these are things that I say to myself because I see myself under such a huge microscope. Other people who see me might not have the same perspective and hopefully do not. But just because I know me, I'm with my thoughts all the time and I scrutinize myself to the biggest capability possible obviously those are the core beliefs that I have about myself and you might feel something similar it's really hard to not honestly but um the author had us then after we wrote out all those negative self-beliefs or core beliefs write out new beliefs that we want to believe so here's what I wrote I am enough as I am I prioritize my needs before helping others I learn from my past and it teaches me to be better I can carve my own path. Success looks different for everyone. Life is not a race. I can do anything. I will work hard to reach my goals and my dream life is attainable. I can do this. And the reason why I thought that this was so impactful is because these affirmations literally stemmed from beliefs that I have about myself and they're very catered to who I am. I feel like um, affirmations that you're given from others like Uh, Some from my meditation podcast that I always listen to are like, oh, I am limitless. I am open to any possibility. I am strong, whatever. And yes, those are great too. I would love to focus on those things, but sometimes they don't always feel like they're 100% catered to you. But because I took some of my most vulnerable beliefs and my most weak beliefs and thoughts about myself and I turned those around and wrote down what I want to believe these affirmations literally feel like they're lifting me up. They feel like they're encouraging me. And I just really liked how they are. So I want to like write them out, pin them on my wall or something. I don't even know, but they're just amazing for me. I think they're just really impactful for me. So if they're not impactful for you, that makes sense. I mean, like you didn't live my life. So I think that totally makes sense. Um, I would honestly encourage you to deep dive into what your core beliefs are. You know, what are the biases that are always holding you back every day that you don't realize? And what are the thoughts that are limiting you or are negatively impacting you? And then what can you say to yourself to reverse that? Because we all want to live our best life. We all want to be thriving. And I think one of the biggest mental blockades of all time is yourself, your mind. 
it just does such weird things. I wonder why it is so like normal to just always be negative to yourself. I feel like wouldn't the instinct evolutionarily be that be positive because if you're constantly negative like that just encourages your mind to it doesn't increase your chances of survival i'm just thinking from an evolutionary standpoint right like being positive to yourself increases your evolutionary chance of survival i don't really know i I have to think about that i'll come back to that but those are my affirmations and they make me feel really good i'm gonna keep repeating them and just have a good time My last thing that I want to talk about is being a good partner. And this is very subjective. It's different for your relationship and it's different for stuff like that. But I think one thing that I wanted to talk about is being a good partner when your partner is going through something tough. So as I was saying this week, Jerry has been having kind of a tough week. I won't really get into the details, obviously, because it's not my thing to share, but One thing that's really affected me is his mindset, his mood, and his well-being. I realized that for him and me specifically, his well-being has a lot to do with how anxious I am and how I am that day. It's not completely like one-to-one correlated, but if he's not doing well and not taking care of himself, that makes me very anxious because obviously you want your partner to be doing well. Um, So that's something I take really close to heart. And I think it's also just because self-care and taking care of yourself is just something I prioritize so much in my life. So if someone I really care about is not doing well and not taking care of themselves, then it just really, really irks me and makes me feel really upset. But a couple things that I wanted to talk about when being a good partner, in terms of when your partner is going through something tough, one thing that is very important to realize is that you have to lower your expect expectations oh gosh that was not as climactic as i would like because i messed up let me start that sentence again one thing that i've learned about being a good partner when your partner is going through something rough or a tough time is that you have to lower your expectations um we all have standards that we need met in terms of my needs Um, I think honestly they've changed a lot but obviously words of affirmation is one of my main love languages so having those words of affirmation not daily but at just like weekly every other day I don't know sometime like that and just like for me to know that I'm being thought of one thing that really bothered me at the beginning of Jerry and my relationship was he was someone who didn't use social media at all before starting to date me. He literally re-downloaded Instagram for me so that we could talk um, because he has an Android, so we can't iMessage. So you can't like send pictures and videos and stuff through our text messages because he has an Android and I have an iPhone. So he re-downloaded Instagram for me so that we could talk on there and we could send pictures and voice memos and all that kind of stuff. But um because he didn't use social media and he didn't really check his phone as often, he like, it would be like hours would go by and I wouldn't receive a text back. And at the beginning of our relationship, I was very like, oh my God, he hates me. This means he hates me. I, we're going to break up. This is like terrible. 
when in reality it was just that um jerry just doesn't check his phone that often and he would honestly he told me like oh yeah like he thinks of me but it was just that he didn't check his phone or didn't go on his phone and he didn't realize that that was something that i wanted so now obviously that has become a lot better and while he does text me more throughout the day and just like even short messages here and there or just like a little emoji one thing that i have also realized is I don't constantly need that external validation and that affirmation. It is very nice. I think nowadays it's more of like a cherry on top. And that is mostly because we have developed a very healthy relationship where I know that I am loved by him, even if he doesn't tell me. At the beginning of our relationship, I didn't know that. And I was like, oh my God, he hates me if he doesn't text me back in like 20 minutes or whatever. But in the cases where your partner is not doing well and mentally just not as strong, you have to lower those expectations. I feel like at the beginning of our relationship and I heard through many other friends, their own struggles, like when their partner wasn't doing well, like then the girlfriend gets upset because, oh, they didn't get their text back or, oh, it feels like we're not as close. We didn't talk. We didn't FaceTime for the two hours that we usually do. And it took me a long time to realize like, wait, my partner is literally going through like hell sometimes. Um, They're mentally not doing well. Maybe they're physically not doing well. They're not able to sleep. They're not able to eat. They're not able to take care of themselves. And adding this extra stress of, oh, I want them to also text me back when I need attention is just like, that doesn't even make sense right like when you say it out loud like what the heck that doesn't make sense but in the moment I I can totally understand because obviously I was there too like oh my partner didn't text me back but you also have to realize that your partner is not doing well and it takes infinitely more energy to get out of bed to make your bed to do these daily habits when you're not doing well mentally so that was something that I learned and I think might be helpful Okay, my camera completely died or it overheated. So I had to take a break from recording. And honestly, I don't remember where I was. So I'm just going to end the podcast now. I hope you enjoyed all the things that were on my mind. This was just a huge brain dump of all my thoughts from the last few weeks. Hope you enjoyed. Make sure you follow the podcast Instagram, subscribe to the podcast YouTube, also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything like that. Um, Personal YouTube, Instagram, TikTok is all going to be linked down below. And I will see you in my next episode. Bye.